0: We are going back in time, like Marty McFly, nineteen eighty-nine. It could be. It is Marty McFly. years. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, first things first. Uh, welcome everyone to Faded Mates. This is Jen, and I have decided that. Oh, I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels, and I read romance novels and i'm jen prokop and i am a romance reader and critic and um we've been we've been saying we were going to read king a kingdom of dreams by judith mcnaught for like months and i kept saying like at first i was writing and i felt like i couldn't do it justice and then jen was teaching and she felt she couldn't do it justice and now here we are finally in a place where we feel like we are able to do it justice. We have read, we are prepared. And um, Jen and I have decided that we are going to end this season actually in July. So the like just like we did last year in July, we're gonna end the season um, and move forward with season three um, starting in the beginning of August. Um, So we're not sure about dates. Stay tuned. There's going to be some Brazen in the... um, No. No. It's not called (laughs) Brazen in the Beast. It's not called Brazen in the Beast. (laughs) It's called Daring in the Duke. And there's going to be some Daring in the Duke stuff. And you're going to hear from the audiobook narrator for Daring in the Duke, Justine Eyre. Like, we've got some very cool stuff coming up. A couple of interviews. Things that we are very excited about. But um, all of that is to say that, Jen, I'm kind of thrilled that... We're wrapping up the season with, with this book. This
1: book. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, I'm kind of it kind of feels like the right thing to have this
0: be a big finish because it's a big finish, right? It's a big finish. It's a big finish. So we read uh, Judith McNaught's A Kingdom of Dreams. And Jen, you've read it before. I although I yeah. haven't read it in since the 90s. Yeah. This is a book that I read at least once a year, and um, I don't think I have read it all the way through since we started recording the podcast. Like, it's one of those books that I'll like start in certain in a certain place and then read through to the end. Um so but I think like as I was reading it this time from you know page 1 to the end I realized like this really is for those of you who came to faded mates not through Cressley but through me for those of you who are Sarah McLean readers um this is the book that blooded me as as a romance reader like it is the book that I I can remember reading um, right when it came out. so I would have been or maybe it wasn't right when it came out, but it was it was certainly one of the early texts. It was like I was, you know, maybe 12 when I read this, 12 or 13. Um, and it to this day, like there are moments in this book that just one blow me away. and two, I can so see the bones of my books. In Like, this is, like, I, I often talk about, like, oh, we stand, you know, those of us who write romance right now, like, we're standing on the shoulders, whether or not we like it. We're standing on the shoulders of the writers who came before us. Like, I am a direct descendant of Judith McNaught. <laughs> There's, and this book is really, like, tremendously important to me. So I am really excited to dig into it because i think there are a lot of judith mcnaught books that are a lot of that are incredibly problematic and i think this is one that maybe doesn't ride that line as much um which is maybe good that i read this first and not Winnie my love which might have imprinted on me in a different way (laughs) remember
1: when we read um gentle rogue and i was like for sure i read this and then i was like i don't think i read this um, I definitely was a McNaught fangirl, but I really liked a lot of her contemporaries. Those sort of standalone contemporaries that she wrote. Isn't that like perfect and Yeah, perfect and paradise and double standards. But I definitely read this book. It, Although it's funny, it's... I think when I think of kind of medievals, which I think is what we'd classify this of, um, the ones that I probably imprinted on were Julie Garwood. Yes. But I definitely read this book, and the act of rereading it was like a total act of rediscovery for me. I was like, oh my god, that's where that came from? Yeah. Oh my god, that's where that came from?
0: There were... Any number of moments in this book where I thought to myself, one, I could write a dissertation on this paragraph, like this exclusively these like three sentences. And two, that Judith McNaught was so far ahead of her time to the like, there are things that she does in this book that now in 2020, some romance still hasn't figured out how to do.
1: I think some of the stuff around consent, especially, which is like really interesting, this book, is I wonder, I wonder if at some point she was trying to write correctives to Whitney, my love.
0: That's an interesting question. So Whitney, my love is the Judith McNaught that everyone talks about all the time. They talk about it for many, many different reasons for a lot of romance readers, for especially people who've been reading historicals since the genre came to be Whitney My Love is a is a primordial text I mean it is it's one of those texts that really means a lot to a lot of romance fans Um, it's certainly a text that a lot of us came to when we were very young and like we're trying to figure out what romance was Um, and a lot of people talk about it because it's incredibly problematic Um, the hero Clayton Westmoreland um is a monster like he's a monster he rapes the heroine he at one point um she he believes that she has uh had an affair and he horsewhips her for it and despite her denying it um and it is it's a rough read like i bought a couple of years ago i bought the original on ebay Um, For a ridiculous amount of money, because I think now people have realized like that that McNaught did this. We talked about this on the podcast before, but um, on the 10th anniversary, I think, of Whitney, um, Judith McNaught re-released they re-released it Pocket re-released the book, and they took out the rape, and they took out the horse-whipping scene. What year What year did it originally get released? So it's her debut, and it was released in 1985. 85, okay. I mean, like, we're not even talking 10 years of... I mean, we're talking barely 13 years of romance, right? Like, it's not... Now, of course, that's, like, two generations. But, like, then, that's, a, like, a generation maybe away from... Uh, Rosemary Rogers and Kathleen Woodowice, who were all writing these heroes who were um, assaulting the heroines. We have category romance,
1: like Love Swept. I mean, like a lot of those things were also happening, right? So just
0: in their nation, you know, Harlequin, Mills and Boone existed, category existed in Canada. Harlequin American Romance, Harlequin Romance America started in 1981. So like, Really. And romance, you have to remember, in these early years, romance was moving fast, but it was not moving as fast as it moves now. Um, uh, Judith McNaught is a slow writer. She published every two years for she published every year for a little while, but it was two years between Whitney and the next book. Um, So like in those early days, it was it was hard for romance to keep up with what was going on. Like four years was was not a long time in those early days. So, um, I don't really want to get into Whitney. Aside the aside to like, aside from like acknowledging that she re you know, they republished it, it was published with an author's note where she basically says, like, I made changes to the text. There's a lot to unpack about this as a question, like how do you we talked about it. I think I'm just going to say this in case you want to go back and have this con- and like listen to Jen and I sort of unpack this conversation of like, w- what is the value of an author going back and re rewriting? We talked about it when we did the novella episode for Cressley, which we will link in show notes, but it's because Cressley made some changes to one of her novellas now changes get made and
1: Kindle versions just get updated and there aren't author notes. So I think it's really interesting too, to think about the fact that at that point it was marked, right? Like, Hey, this happened.
0: Yeah. I made these changes. So it went Whitney, my love. I'm sorry. It's, it went, I I misspoke. She did publish every year. She it went Whitney, Whitney, my love until you. So Whitney, my love is a Regency set in 1817 Until You, which I think is also, it's, that's um, Sheridan. So that's, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say the names of the characters because I don't have it in front of me. But Until You, um, Once and Always, Something Wonderful, and then Kingdom of Dreams. So it's her fifth book. And I think you might be right that she is doing something in the, text particularly with the hero Royce West, Westmoreland who is so this is a medieval he's the ancestor of Clayton Westmoreland right which is I think really interesting like an interesting choice to go back to medievals with this family and then um, although you know people like Jude Devereux were moving back and forth like they had these big families and we're moving back and forth but there are seven Westmoreland books, and A Kingdom of Dreams is the only medieval. So it's like the backstory of the family. And I think it's really worth—like, there's—I have a lot to say. I don't want to, like, verbally vomit at all at the top of the show, but— um, we should talk about the plot, because I know that some people haven't had time to read. It's a really busy time in the world right now. And um, it's, I don't think it's available on audio, which I think I, I actually went to look
1: because I was sort of curious. And um, if it is, I couldn't find it, which is, you know, it wasn't like the easy places. And um, I think that's really interesting, too. Um, OK, let me do the plot really fast. So, yeah. Um, our heroine is uh, Jennifer Merrick. Yeah. Okay. Pause.
0: Really fast. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like reading a heroine named Jennifer? Super weird, especially yeah, because is it really, weird? yeah, it's super weird.
1: Um, which I also don't know how I don't do this. I mean, Jennifer is like every forty-year-old white lady's name. How is this not something that happens to me all the time? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's. Oh God, so interesting! So it starts actually at chapter one is the wedding, <gasps> yeah. And I want to like you know I'm so interested in the structure, <laughs> so
0: right? And it's and it's such a good beginning too, and shows also um, the way that she's learned. Like she's done a lot of learning uh, since Whitney. Like there's no there's no like flabby backstory. In this, It's really interesting the way this is
1: structured, right? Because it's not even a prologue. It's chapter one. And then, and it's clearly a tense wedding, kind of no one can believe it's going to happen. And then chapter two starts essentially with like the flashback, right? How we're going to get there. And it is probably a solid 50% of the book, like telling, Right. right, the story of kind of like how they meet to how they get to the wedding. Yep. And basically Jennifer and her stepsister her half sister i can't remember um are to be nuns or like novices at the abbey because you know (laughs) and there's some talking to god in this book which is real wild i'd forgotten that god and king actually appear in this book and um they are kidnapped by and god talks back god talks
0: back sure i mean to the heroine, then I want to talk about religion because the hero yes. has a very different relationship with God. Yes, which is also fascinating. And
1: um, Royce Westmoreland, the at that time the Earl of Claymore at the beginning, um, his brother Stephen is like, oh look, if we if I steal these girls who are Merricks, then I can we can use them as sort of um, kind of a bait or lure to like essentially end this war with these the Scottish. You know Merrick Clan, and so they get taken off to his
0: camp and um and Royce is not thrilled when Stephen turns up with these uh costages, with these essentially women because he's like, "You stole nuns, <laughs> <laughs> you can't steal nuns, no, and
1: Steven's <laughs> like, "No oh, too late, what are we gonna do with them?" I got them, though. (laughs) Yeah, I got them. It's too hard to pick them back. It's not like we just, like, send them home in an Uber. So um, the thing that's fascinating is Jenny, right? And sometimes she's Jenny and sometimes she's Jennifer. Kind of depending, I think I think it's, like, really... Is he the only one who calls her Jenny? No. Sometimes, like, the narration does. Oh, well, yeah. And I think it's a really strong signal of her like vulnerability. Yeah, right? Like she's younger, she's scared when and she's Jenny. And then it, it's just really interesting. So there's like it's it it doesn't firmly commit to one or the other. And then um she and her she stages a bunch of escape attempts essentially, right?
0: And finally, not just stages a bunch of, of escapes, like really is committed to get them to get them out out like this is not like a one time thing this is like she is she's kind of feral and like and like she is like a caged animal which is essentially what like and she is a, a kidnapped person who is like willing to do anything to get out earlier today i was talking to jen or I was I was uh, texting with Jen and uh, Kate Claiborne, and um, we were talking about um, how this whole book to me feels very Taming of the Shrew. And um, Kate knows a lot about the Taming of the Shrew, so I asked her, like, if she, you know, because she knows that play really well, I think. Um, and so I asked her um, just now, is Kate only Kate to Petruchio? And, uh, the answer is yes. He, like, she is not Kate to anyone else. Like, so I think you're right. I think you're onto something where I think this book is very, I think McNaught was really like tracking Taming of the Shrew and we'll talk a little more about why I think that, but the nickname thing, yeah, it coded to me as I was sort of coming, I was putting together my theory about Taming of the Shrew, which of course most, if you also saw this, you're going to be like, it's not really a theory, Sarah, it's pretty obvious, because there are two sisters. One of them is really beautiful and kind and like birds of light on her shoulder. <laughs> and then there's right. like this feral Jennifer who is a lot like my Jennifer, I'll say. Thanks. <laughs> no one's taming I me, feel though. Like, I feel like you would always have a dagger in your out. Or whatever that's whatever it's called. called. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, one of my most perplexing things about rereading this book is last time you mentioned that she's an unlikable heroine. And I was like, are you kidding me? This bitch is amazing. Oh, she's <laughs> totally
0: badass and incredible.
1: I was completely like, wait, people don't like her?
0: I was dumbfounded by it. Dumbfounded. Jen, she is the primordial unlikable heroine. People, if you go on like Goodreads, don't go on Goodreads. It's terrible. But like, if you go on Goodreads and you read the bad reviews for this book, it's like, jennifer is like the worst character she doesn't deserve love like she's horrible in every way i was like wait this
1: can't be right because this woman is amazing and i want to roll with her (laughs) one of her big struggles is um her she had some step siblings and there was one in particular who did everything he could to turn the clan against her And so she has this real need to prove to people that she is like a team player and she's on their side and she's worthy of love. And it really sets up a lot of the things, a lot of her behavior, because as far as she's concerned, she's been captured by her enemy. And if you're captured by your enemy, you do any fucking thing you need to do to get free. Right. And... In fact, one of my—the part of this book where I was, like, all in and ride or die for her was when she says to Royce, well, like, how would you feel if you had a daughter in this situation? And he's thinking, like, oh, I'd want her to be safe or something. And she's like, wouldn't you want her to fight every way that she could? And I was like, hell to the yeah. And I think that that's the part about her that is—but I think it's also her her character arc, her growth arc is— um Misplaced about misplaced loyalty
0: yes well i mean what's really interesting is the the story the the internal plot for jennifer is learning who she should like that family isn't always by blood sometimes it's found right and misplaced loyalty the external plot is jennifer getting gaslit by all these fucking assholes Like her father, her stepbrothers, like I wish they would all just die in a fire.
2: you fire.
1: You know what else, though, I remember thinking is how strangely grateful I felt that it was her father and her brothers who were so terrible to her and not women. Yes. There are
0: no, there is a, there's like a, every woman, these women are ride or die for her. She has an aunt who is sent to, so, all right, we're getting away from ourselves. So where are we at? Um, (laughs) She's doing everything she can to escape. And I think it's just battle of wills, right? And they kind of are falling for each other, right? Like, they're like... They make out. They kind of like it. He's really,
1: you know, this is also primordial romance hero. Like, I'm the alpha. Everyone always kowtows to me. And now I've got someone
0: up in my face who isn't doing whatever I say. I am strangely attracted to this. Oh, there's a scene where she like turns on him with a dagger and it's like, and that's when she was like, when he saw how magnificent she was. Like what's really amazing about this book is the dance that McNaught writes around the two with the two of them as like, talk about rivals to lovers. Like these two go blow for blow, like There's no, they are equals on every level from the start to that magnificent finish. And they know, they recognize they're equal in each other almost instantly. Like he, the and I also, he's the softest hero. (laughs) I'm sorry, internet. I know some of you right now are like, what? He's so soft. He's so good and soft. (laughs) And like the only time he ever threatens anybody is like when he's mad and and like angry. Like and like he's sort of like, and then he's like, "I'll destroy you." (laughs) I also
1: I think that this. I mean, I feel like I could talk about this book all day, but there's a lot of ways in which, um, as 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 a romance reader. I am almost always, if it is a male-female romance, I am almost always instantaneously and forever on team heroine. But there are all these ways in which she makes him really sympathetic. And you're like, oh, yeah, that is kind of shitty. Like, people are laughing at you at court. And then it he comes back to her and she's like, what the fuck do you have to be sad about? I You ruined my whole goddamn life. And I found myself a several times in the book being like, oh, yeah. Like, what the fuck am I feeling
0: sorry for you for? But, like, also poor Sad Royce. Like, uh, OK, so here's the first paragraph. Like, I texted Jen this paragraph earlier today because I was like, I could literally write a dissertation on the work that judith mcnaught is doing in this paragraph i'm gonna read it because it's amazing the women he had bedded there this is in the middle of a sex scene by the way they're like fooling around and this is like pause in this like they're like the 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 paragraph before his hand is on her breast and the paragraph later like he's like i don't know doing something else sexy the women—but this, this is the paragraph in between, and this is on, the only paragraph. The women he had bedded never wanted to be seduced or handled gently. They wanted the leashed violence, the power and stamina that were part of his legend. They wanted to be conquered, subdued, taken roughly, and used by the wolf. The number of women who had implored hurt me in bed with him were too numerous to count. The role of sexual conqueror had been thrust upon him and he'd accepted it for years, but with increasingly frequent bouts of boredom and lately disgust. And it's like, let's let's pause in this like super sexy sex scene and talk about toxic masculinity. (laughs) And you're like, what? What just happened? It's amazing because what the the thing that brought him brought that paragraph to bear was that like she was soft with him he was like he was allowed to be soft with her like they were unraveling with each other and that's one of the like glorious things about this book is the conversations in this book there's so much laughter between these two characters who are like, at each other's throats the whole time, but, like, can't help but really enjoy each other's company, too. And there's so much about, like, identity and this kind of idea that he's the unbreakable, unbeatable wolf. And and what that means, like, essentially, I think what McNaught is saying here in this paragraph is, um, is she's really, like, questioning what the alpha is like what has come before you know Brandon from the flame and the flower never had this kind of self-awareness this you know awareness that like he was both like he like at the alpha was thrust upon him there's something like you want to talk about somebody who's like soft and like noogity at their center it is Royce Westmoreland like medieval like jousting like Slayer. He's got a whole exit plan. Okay, so let me tell you, I
1: am always really interested in books that are not just like
0: Regency, right? And we've talked about medievals kind of generally before. I think we did we did a Scottish romance interstitial, which and often Scots Scots romances are are medieval. Yeah. But I'm always
1: really curious about like the timestamps, right? So it's 1497. And I was like, what, a, what the fuck, right? What happened in 1497? Well, it's when America Amerigo Vespucci set sail for America. But it's also right in the middle of Henry VII's, um, like, sort of reign. And this, the thing that was really interesting to me about that, what Wikipedia tells me, is... I'm like, right? I'm not pretending to be a scholar here, everybody. But I'm curious, right? I'm curious about this year. Sure. Is... Henry VII was the last, like, English monarch who had to literally battle for his title. And one of the things that I was thinking about a lot after reading so many Regencies, right? Like, I I don't—it's a very—I'm sure there are people still writing—there are people who are writing Medievals, but they're just not as popular as they were, is there is this sense that, like, we watch— Royce Westmoreland like slough off the like his sort of fighting and take on the veneer of Duke in this book and I'm really interested in the way in which right like so at the beginning it's like yeah I'm gonna sleep with you and you're gonna be my mistress and oh well you know and like you just you know the whole idea that she's like ruined it's it's so much more it's so much more binary right it's like you're a slut or you're married and those are the choices but he has no like real worries about it it's no one's going to force him to marry her after he ruins her because it's the spoils of war but yet once he they get to his home he is like yeah i'm i'm never going to war again i've built this castle that i would not be able to defeat everything is like super luxurious we are like that that life is over for me now And it's fascinating to watch that, like, a romance hero go from, like, warrior to, to like, Duke, right? Right here in one book.
0: Yeah. I mean, he really is—I mean, we talk about this this evolution of the genre from, you know, from one place to another. And that's the work that McNaught is doing in this book. Like, I really believe, like, what we're seeing is the primordial beta— or the primordial cinnamon roll maybe like there's like this idea like suddenly i can't think of a of a of a hero who came before this in time who was soft like And there is, and I mean, I know you're all like, Sarah, he's not soft, but he really is. Every, he struggles internally with every single question of any time violence is on the page, in his hands or in others, Royce has a pause. Like, and it's a really interesting, particularly with Jennifer, like, because, and but even like at the very beginning, there are these like, Okay, we have to talk about the horse. Okay, so Jennifer's making all of these exits, right? She's trying really hard to, like, get out. So she tries to escape. She tries to run away. She tries to, you know, she wields a dagger at him. Like, she does all these things. And finally, like, she goes, they, she sneaks out with her horse. With her, she and Brenna, right? Yeah. Sorry, she sees, yeah, she and Brenna sneak out. They steal his horse from camp. Past a sleeping guard and take off through the woods. He gets woken up, Royce gets woken up, and they're like, the women are gone. And he's like, Well, how far could they be? I mean, they're women. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he goes after them and he finds her on his horse riding astride. And he says, He, we're in his head. He thinks to himself, like, God, she's a magnificent rider. And he is watching her. He's like admiring her. And her skill and his horse on his horse, which no one else will ever ride. Like he's other people are, of course, Thor. what is it we say about animals? They're always symbols, Sarah. (laughs) So no one will touch. No one will touch this horse. But Jennifer. So she um, gets on. So she's riding through the dark woods and he sees the horse reject a jump. And he immediately instantly knows that that means that there's danger on the other side of the jump, that the horse has sensed something. And then he immediately can tell that on the other side of whatever this is across the path, there's a cliff. And Jennifer says, like, brings the horse around to do it again, like, forces the horse to go. And the horse takes the jump, throws her off its back, and, and like, slides down the cliff to its death. And, Oh, boy. And we switch smart POV switch here. Like, we switch immediately to Jennifer, who is horrified by what she has done. And then... Because she kills the horse. I mean, she kills the horse. Yeah, she kills the horse. And she
1: has been reckless. Like, right, she cuts up their blankets. Oh, and she yeah. sews their clothes together. And she was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to get out of here. And now she realizes
0: that there is a price. Are consequences to actions. And so, and in this, so, but she, then we're in her eyes and she sees Royce, like, climb down this cliff. Oh, God. To the mangled broken body of his horse where he kneels mm-hmm. and like speaks like basically like stro, like gives this horse like his sadness and she she has to bear witness to like what she's done and he comes up and he's enraged and as a reader you're like oh shit like people who've read Judith McNaught at this point are like oh shit this is where he beats her. Right? Like this is the part where he's gonna be bad. It's right? gonna be this terrible hero that we all sort of now have to like think through why it worked in the days that it did, and he doesn't no, he's so angry, and he yells at her, and he definitely tears into her, but he's like, you didn't you're he just calls her on her bullshit, and he's like, that horse is better than you. that horse did everything like you asked it to do and it killed itself for you all horses are symbolism and so all horses are all, all animals are symbols everybody you guys are welcome <laughs> it killed itself for her that's that's gonna come back later yeah it is
1: <laughs> well and then she says it He's like, you're lucky. You're so lucky you
0: didn't die, too. And she says, he threw me off before. Yeah, she admits it. He knew what was coming, right? Things that McNaught does to endear readers, because I actually do think that she knew she was writing a heroine who might not be popular, right? Especially when when you're pairing a heroine with a hero who is so soft, like, in so many ways, like, is very emotional. Like, there is this real... It's a tightrope walk. I mean, I know I've written unlikable heroines, unlikable, I'm putting air quotes around. I hate that phrase. We've talked about it before, but I've written those like heroines who are difficult to understand, heroines who maybe make choices that you wouldn't make, like heroines who, as Jen would say, are truly backed into a corner. I think that's exactly
1: right. And she's been backed into a corner, though, for years and years by her family, by her circumstance, by her gender. And she was accused of all these terrible things. She was accused of killing a friend. And I think this is why her recklessness is like, well, what's literally like what's the worst that could happen i've already lost my whole clan i've already been accused of all these things but she never really had to pay a price for the things that she herself did no right? and so she we see this like rec- she rectifies now like sort of action like
0: crime and punishment in a way that yeah. has never happened to her before it's just been well, punishment, and it's all locked up in this idea that like of royce's identity too right like she hates him so much sight unseen because she's been told he's a monster Right. And so when she finally engages with him and it's clear that he's not a monster, like he's a he's a noble dude who's just fighting on the other side of a war and wars are terrible. It's this really interesting challenge for her because she has to unlearn un she has to basically deprogram herself in order to find the part of her that can love, right? That right. then can see the truth in other people. But one of the things that jo, um, that Judith McNaught does really beautifully here is um, Jennifer doesn't lie. She, right. it's, it's almost like she's one of Cressley's vampires. Like, she cannot lie. Yeah. She doesn't, like, at, at no point does she ever, she she defends her family to the, to the extreme, right. like, it's terrible how long of this book it takes for her to realize that her family's monstrous. Mm-hmm. Um but she never lies. And that the fact that she told him that the horse threw her. Yeah. Right. You know. I also think it's at this point in
1: the book because I it was really at this point that I was like, this is why chapter one has to exist. Because If we were just reading this cold from the kidnapping versus from the wedding, I think we would have a lot of questions about how it's going to turn out. And I think it's really fascinating the way chapter one essentially sets up that all of this subterfuge about families and her... Like, it's it's not going to work. It somehow, like... I at that at this moment, I I wanted him to walk away from her and like give her some time to grow up. I was not mad at her. Right. I actually was like, yeah, you're going to do anything you can to escape from your enemy. Like, good for you. But it was really impossible to imagine how these two were going to like move past this. Yeah, I, I just found I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, in a book that I've read before to mm-hmm. essentially time and time again be like how is this
0: going to fucking work out.
1: Yeah. It is it is um it is
0: masterful. Well, I, it also feels so authentic. I mean, I said before the external cl- plot being like her family gaslighting her, mm-hmm. but it's really painful to read. It is what's happening painful. to her. Yeah. Because there are definitely moments like there's a moment so um they're like starting to like each other. Yeah. Right? And and they, like, go for a walk in the woods. And it's mm-hmm. really darling. And they kiss in the woods. And it's just, like, really nice. And he says, she says, like... And then she looks over his shoulder and she sees her brother. They had who sex the night before. Yeah, they did. They did. It's yeah.
1: not just kissing, right? Like, Well, no, but they n- kiss in the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. But I guess I just want to say at this point, it's important they've had that... They've sh- done it. Yeah. And he's sort of... Brenna has essentially escaped on her own. She's like come up with a plot she thought would get both of them out, and and you know Jenny's so used to being the plotter she doesn't actually even put two and two together and Brenna's up to it, yeah. right? So Brenna's gone, and now Jenny's on her own, and she essentially made a deal to get her sister out, and so um, he, you know, they have sex, and he spoils her, and he's like, yeah, you're going to be in my bed, and then the next yep. morning he is so happy. He's like Lachlan fucking McReeve, all happy. I know, delighted,
0: yes. delighted. It's and all fixed is, too. Hey, war colon, fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, he really believes that he is gonna take. He is gonna marry her. Like he is gonna marry her, and it is gonna be fine. Yeah. So she sees her brother in the woods, and this is her brother that she likes. Yeah, the good and one, the good brother, William. Oh, this good brother. It's interesting. There's an interesting. There's a whole interesting plot with this good brother. So anyway, uh, and this this good brother has sort of decided. There's been a lot of discussion that the Merricks would go to war on behalf of their women, mm-hmm. please, on behalf of themselves. Oh yeah. And for William sure. is good enough to see that like going to war does not save. Brenna and uh Jennifer uh they need to go they need to sneak in and get her. So there he is in the woods and she says to Royce like I wish I could stay in the woods like to walk and he's like well I got this thing I have to go to a meeting but um <laughs> let me take this call <laughs> and he's like but you know will you s- you can stay you can like he trusts her he's like this we're going to love each other. Oh poor Royce. And then she goes into the woods and the brothers like let's get the fuck out of here. And she's like, yeah, okay. Like, and she, but she has this moment before she says, yeah, okay. Like where she has the push pull, like the, maybe I, like I read at at that moment, the way I read that
1: was that she really was like, I'll come back and fix things with Royce later. Right. I can repair this, but if I, If I if William gets caught, he's dead. And I can't right. like it feel it felt like some. It's not. I think
0: that's some like you're reading between lines. It's not that's not clear in the text that that's how she's putting it together.
1: Yeah. And I guess maybe let me clarify. I guess what I mean is there's no point in this where she thinks, what do I want?
0: Yeah. No, no, no. It's what would America do? Right. Always. It was what can I do for my family? What can I do for my father's love? Like everything about this is like, how can I get the love of my clan, my father? How can I be like re reassessed and how will I convince them that I didn't kill my friend? Like she is so desperate for family that she is willing to take this like garbage family over Like, people who are really good. And that's why it had to be
1: William. He was the only one who maybe, or her father, right? But I think, like, at that moment, really what that, it was, there was no part of her wants or needs or desires that, like, entered into the calculus of, like, do I go? But then
0: uh, some bad shit happens because Royce gets arrested, now Royce gets arrested the way rich white men in England got arrested. It was like for tax evasion, basically. Like it was like, <laughs> go to now, but now like you don't go to you don't go to Newgate or anything. You go to a very posh room in the Tower of London where the king lives, right? And you, oh, I do want to say, oh no, it's fine. So he goes to this this is all this will all connect. um so he goes to the Tower of London. And turns out King Henry the Seventh is not thrilled. <laughs> not thrilled with really any of this. The Pope is real pissed. Like, what are you doing stealing nuns? And uh, the punishment is you got to marry this. So, oh, so, but when he gets there, he doesn't know. He doesn't know sort of how it's all gone down. And he's really fucking delighted. He's like, I'm going to, it's going to be fine. I'm going to tell Henry that I'm going to marry her. Like, She's my like she's my fiance. Sure. And he
1: is there's been a hint that he knows this could be coming. Henry likes to solve these problems by marrying people off. Well, what a, what did he Henry
0: notoriously I mean so just not to spoil the end of this history lesson that you were learning on Wikipedia for you. <laughs> Please spoil it. But Henry VII married his eldest daughter Margaret to James, King James. So like there's a kind of I mean like he he also put his money where his mouth was so to speak. He was like goodbye daughter. Go fix our problems. Go go end this war. Well, then, like, the irony, of course, of Henry VIII being like, yeah, marriage. Let's do it up. I'm going to keep marrying
1: these <laughs> bitches.
3: Until...
0: <laughs> marriage is the solution to everything, apparently, for the British monarchy. Who could tell? Who knows? The Henrys. They loved getting hitched. <laughs> I mean... <laughs>
1: So, when we meet Royce, like we see how kind of soft he is inside, like his sadness for his horse, his goodness. But he, up until this moment, had been feared throughout England by friend and foe alike. Yes. And now. And now he's a laughing stock because this 17 year old girl who's supposed to be a nun has gotten the best of him every single time. The Merrick slut. The Merrick slut. And his humiliation at sort of having lost that. In the paragraph you read, he's like, I just want to like slough this
0: off, but not this way. But who am I if I am not that? Right. I fucking. okay, you guys, I said this was the book that blooded me I said on Twitter to somebody the other day when they sort of like kind of question like why we would read this book I said like it's it's literally impossible to talk about the genesis of Sarah McLean as a writer without talking about Judith McNaught so we're doing Judith McNaught like of course right um part of why is because I believe that Judith McNaught is a super, yes, a superior romance writer, but when it comes to writing romances that fundamentally are about characters' identities and the push-pull of who am I to the world, who am I to myself, who am I to you, the person who I care about, the only person whose like, opinion matters, the sort of triptych of identity that is in every McNaught book and, frankly, is in every McLean book is all i want to read in romance this book is so effing good right so we see him
1: like essentially he's like a man of war now he's this man who's been humiliated and then we get to the wedding right that we saw happening in chapter one like here we are again yeah and this is now when we sort of see like the braiding together of this like he's been elevated to the status of duke because The king doesn't want him to have a lower title than his to
0: be bride. Right. Jennifer Merrick has her own title, essentially. And she's a countess. She's a Scottish countess who has her own every like this. Here's the thing. Scottish. So women in Scotland can carry titles, which is a really nice trick in romance writing. Like you can write a duchess, say, as long as she's Scottish, unmarried. And so um, she's a Scottish counta- countess, but she comes with all the things that people who are aristocratic come with. So, like, she has a coat of arms, and she has like people who wait upon her, or conceivably would if her family was not terrible to her. Like, so there are there are there are rules, and Jennifer is royal. I mean, she's aristocratic. So we have like a
1: humiliated Royce. And sort of Jennifer, who all of a sudden seems to have been accepted back into, like, the fold of her family, now kind of meeting again, and the stakes, which we thought were sky high, are Even higher. Right. He is furious at not only that the fact that she left, but also at being trapped into marriage with her. Um, She kind of uh, doesn't know what it's going to really mean to be married to him. But if this is what her father wants and it's really clear that her like her father essentially is intending to trick to essentially, like, pull one off on Royce, like, right? Like, I'm going to officially marry you and then have her whisked away to a convent where she will be cloistered, and that way you will not have an heir, but we all know that you slept with her. She's the Merrick slut, and so, therefore, you can't say you deserve an annulment, and you will essentially have no heirs. I, You know, the worst thing a man can do to another man is to, like, in this case, literally
0: emasculate him, right? Sure. I mean, who doesn't... Who hasn't written an old Duke who wants heirs? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> or a whole series based on that. <laughs> um, No, yeah. You're, I mean, you're 100% right. And then, but what's really interesting is this dad has, like, backup plans upon backup plans. Like, this is a vengeful fucking dude. Yeah, he is. Who wants, like... And it's it's sort of, he's, like, unhinged in his vengefulness. Because here's the other thing, like, in 1490-whatever, I mean, this is the way the world works. Like, reavers cross the border, steal sheep and women, kill people, burn things down, and then go back over the border. And, like, this went on for a long time. Some number of years, that is a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Someone who knows about this, you know, tell us on Twitter. But the point is, like, this is the story. Also, it doesn't really matter because in romance land in romance history, this went on for an eternity. Like, this is such a a classic conflict in romance. And perhaps this is the beginning of it. I don't know. I would think it's possible. This is the text that... This is the text that started a, sh- a thousand, you know, Scottish, yeah, border romances, right? Mar- I mean, like, because certainly Garwood loved it, right? Mm-hmm. This English woman marries that Scot- Scottish dude and done. I would say this is the part where it's hard for me, where I wanted her to be able to, like, see see
1: that it wasn't just her bad stepbrother, but that she has a bad father. And this part yeah, well, was so really painful. Yeah, well, so this is painful. the thing, yeah. right?
0: So this father thing, oh, because th- this is where I was going with my diatribe earlier about the border, um, which is irrelevant now, but the, the father has this plan, and it goes back to, I I underlined it, because the plan is, originally the plan is, I'm sending you with your herbalist aunt to your marriage, cuz she he's like I'm going to take this man down however I can. So, and she's like he's five he's like sh- he never gets airs. And Jennifer says on the page, he's five times my size. How the fuck do you think I'm going to not get pregnant there? And he says I'm sending you with your aunt. And we were like Ooh. tinctures and time. I mean aunt and Eleanor. what's interesting is like I don't think when I was 12, I was like Oh boy. Auntie E is going to come with her like birth control pill, which isn't actually a birth control pill. Later it's like this magnificent thing where men go impotent, which would be really great <laughs> if it existed by the way. Like <laughs> I just like I love it. I love how the fantasy like the sort of the f- like every one of these books look. From Whitney, my love, straight through, Mcnaught books are about the way the world maligns women. Like, the way, and it, they are so much about the treatment of women and the way women get bound. Like, bound to um, the their work, bound to servitude, bound to men, bound. Literally, I was literally like, you have God, king, and father, and husband yeah, in this and book. and husband. And brother. And, Judith McNaught does not pull away from that, ever. She is—and that is why, I mean, like, I will defend to my death the original text of Whitney and say that it is saying a thing. Like, Clayton Westmoreland is uh, is an important character in the time in which he was written. But that said, like, what's happening here is— Is even in even in the fact that like the tincture wasn't it was the tincture was supposed to render someone impotent potentially for life. Like what a glorious thing that would be if women had access to something like that. You know, like, I mean, obviously, whatever, that's probably my moral compass is is skewed. But like if we like when you think about what men what so many men have done to women, like. That's a romance fantasy right there, and and McNaught puts it on the page and is unabashed about it. And in fact, the woman who wields
1: this power is like a talky old grandma,
0: right? Yeah. Who's just like <laughs> <laughs> like no one can shut her and up. And I like and that when it's finally right, revealed, he's like, uh, I'd rather be because it, it's when it's finally revealed, it's because he's in pain. Like the 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 aunt is healing him, and she's like this thing that I'm going to give him for pain in, like, large doses can do this. And he's like, no, thank you. And she's like, I didn't think you'd want that, my dear boy.
1: But it, it's really, it's, yeah, it's like chemical castration, essentially. I mean, it's... I know, it's, which
0: is a different kind of, I mean, if you, when you talk about it in you know, real life, terms 20 term, like, 2020 yeah. terms, I don't love it. But like, you know, in theory, in romance fantasy, I love it.
1: Well, in romance fantasy, for Jennifer, who literally has been every single choice she's ever made has been so influenced by like the literal patriarchy so it makes sense that there would be this like escape hatch right that it's like the women in her life who who take care of her who support her who go along with her her plots and plans who she, you know she wins over like the the ladies maid and the other people by essentially listening to them right when they get to his home, and I forget the name of it, we see him, and we started to see him at the Tower of London this way, but it's sort of masked by his humiliation. We see that he literally doesn't even know how to live like this. It's that Vietnam hero coming back right from war. Yeah. And he's got all of the, it's like the luxury of this home is is over the top, but the food's no good. Right. He doesn't know how to eat it. And it's like this whole thing about, um, you know, he doesn't know really how to treat the servants and take care of them. He doesn't know how to, like, turn off the soldier, William.
0: Oh, I was going to say then comes her family to visit. Right. And they're coming down the street. (laughs) And and I mean, his brother Stefan goes to him and is like, what are we doing? Like, do I have to arm, do I have to wake everybody up? Like, do we have to, do we have to get armed? Do we have to arm her up? What I love about this scene, though, is
1: before he lets them in, he tells her, here's what your father's plan was at the wedding. He was going to cloister you forever and he was going to leave me without an heir and a wife. And she, she can't believe it. I'm on your side Are you too blind to see." I'm on your side. No, I'm not the enemy.
0: Now she doesn't, mm. she cannot. <laughs> no, she resists it at hard. every turn. And it Betrayal. that, if there is, I don't think it's, I was going to say if there is a misstep, but I don't think it is a misstep. The one thing I hate is how unfailing her loyalty to her father is. But when you are raised in a family that has gaslit you for so long, I mean, I guess it does, this is the thing, every time I was like, oh, I'm so frustrated by her, I would think like, is this too much? Like, has, has McNaught gone too far? Like, should she have pulled this back? And then I think like, no, this feels really real. She's also 17. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I try not to think about that. Yeah, the era of the teenage heroines, right? I mean, it's—because she doesn't act 17. No.
1: Here's the other—the thing, though, I think the other reason it works is um, there's, like, the bad stepbrother, the evil—like, literal, like, Cinderella evil stepbrother. Yeah. And I think that if he—so Jennifer essentially places all of her anxiety and fears and feelings of being yucky about her family onto this bad brother— It was all his fault. And that there's like a convenient scapegoat for her feelings about her father. And I think that if if it it somehow softens it and gives me a reason to like kind of understand why she was never able to pin it on her father, because there was this convenient other target for it. Yes. And I think that that was a really smart move on her part, because otherwise she just would have seemed like real dumb. Why can't you see this?
0: Yeah, well... But before we get to them arriving, we have to talk about the night before, um, because so two things happen. So Stefan comes in and says, "What do you want to do?" Like they're they're on their they're on the march, like they're coming, and we've never had an experience with them that hasn't ended in them trying to kill us. Um, and Royce basically is like, "No," and we're opening the gates. Like sh- this is this is my wife's family. Like they're a family now, right? And and he says and i want to read this aloud too because i think it speaks to what you were talking about before about like him like and about him mo- making the shift like trying to learn what he like vietnam hero comes home right war hero comes home he says i'm done with battles i told you that and i told henry that i'm sick of it all of it the blood the stench the sounds Oblivious to the fascinated serf who had come up behind him to refill his tankard, Royce finished harshly, I've no stomach for it anymore. He's just tired. And I love it. I love it because it's such a complicated thing to do to a hero. At this time, like now we can say like now we have we have seen generations of romance heroes like doing this push pull with war, with battle, Mm -hmm. right? With masculinity. But like this really is McNaught like peeling apart what the alpha is and saying like, is it even like, is it a mantle that we wrap men in or is it like a thing that comes from within? Yeah. Right. And then several pages later, it's the night before her family arrives. This is when um, Jennifer asks for her favor, which is, um, well, no, it's two things. It's not. It's when Royce then says to her for one night for tonight, could we put aside our differences and behave like a normal newly wedded couple at a normal marriage feast? And he's just like, can we just not? And we just not. And then he gives her, that's when he gives her the power to, which is so great. I mean, I've used it a thousand times, right? Like the, I'll give you a favor, whatever it is. And it'll come to, it'll come to pass right at the low moment. <laughs> right. Here's the thing though. I will
1: also tell you, this was a moment as a reader where I was truly surprised because he is so bitter and so angry about the wedding and about this fact that he's being tricked and they're, you know, riding back and she... There's like all these days of silence. And then it finally kind of breaks down. And I literally at this point in the book was like, oh, we're about to enter that part of an old historical where the hero is unrelentingly terrible to her for a long time. And it didn't happen.
0: Not really. It didn't happen. And I was like, oh, he's magnificent. He is a magnificently written hero. And I was, I was, I was dreading it. I know. And then I think the
1: thing, then to me, this scene where William, <laughs> well, then right? it gets, then it gets,
0: well, then suddenly the fingers get start getting taken. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, but it's fascinating to me. Okay, again though. So William, her brother, like at the end of this meeting, this like sort of tense meeting where he's like, "You're not taking her. We we've married, and here's the friar who performed the wedding, and you know." Um, she said, "You just don't hurt my family." And William pulls a dagger. Now it's literally as a reader. I don't know about you. I was like, "What the hell just happened?" Because it all happens off page.
0: Yeah, it's bonkers what goes down. I don't understand. It's like Judith McNaught drank a whole lot of wine and was like i'm doing it <laughs> here's the
1: thing though that i think is so brilliant about it so it's like this scene so william now the good brother is killed right and on her land and he you know and he said i would i would never kill your family is one is we see this as almost like a moment of like relapse in ptsd right and our kind of common parlance like now which is someone pulled a knife on him and he immediately like even though he's been trying to like shh Like, leave war behind. War has not left him behind. Mm -hmm. But because of the way it essentially happens off page, we also, it's like, we don't know. We don't know what happened. All we know is is the feelings. All we know is, like, how it feels. And this is it. She's like, yeah, none of this matters because how does it feel when you think the person you love has betrayed you? When you made them promise, don't do it, and they did it. Yes.
0: And the way... (sighs) So, first of all, we don't know. Royce doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer is, like, absolutely unreliable. Right? Like, she just... We know now. We've been told for... I'm looking at about 377 pages. We've been told, like, Jennifer has no frame of logic. Like, or, like, ability to be normal related to her family right so and royce who has always been stoic right like has always been solid solid as a fucking rock is suddenly like i don't know i don't know what happened and and mcnaught names the emotions she says his doubt erupted into an almost unbearable guilt. He'd been judging men and the danger they represented to him for 13 years. And he'd never been wrong. And tonight he judged William harmless and me as a writer. Mm -hmm. I'm like this motherfucker killed the good brother at 80% of the book. And I'm like, I would never, I would never have the, courage to do it like i i can't see and then i like stopped and i like sort of sat with myself for a moment and i was like i can't figure out how this is working because killing the good brother like killing the bad brother jennifer could still have been angry but we all would have come around to like well that's the bad brother it was the bad brother but like this is talk about a risk this is taking the finger I think it has to happen this way,
1: Sarah, and I thought a lot about this because we, at the beginning, she's the feral one, and he's the one who's, like, rock solid and knows what's going on, but you just can't come home. She's Odysseus. You can't come home from war and not be a wild man. You need 10 fucking years at sea to, like, get over the shit you did, and he did not have the time to get over the shit he
0: did. Jen, you're so smart. You're so smart. It's 19, what? It's 1989? Yeah, I mean, like, this is lived experience for also, I mean, like, we haven't done our Vietnam episode. But I like, know, I'm obsessed with the idea. I don't know if we ever will, because I don't know if I can do it justice. But he is, he, like, he switched
1: from being sort of like warlord to duke in 33 seconds. Yeah. And it can't sustain itself. And now we see that he, that he needs her. Yeah, she just doesn't. She needs to be the solid one. Yes, exactly, and I think that's why it works because
0: otherwise she's just this like wild one. Yeah, except what's really bonkers about this is that McNaught doesn't let her save him. Mm -hmm. Not yet. I mean, like the. She's so furious at this point. Okay, at this point, you guys, we're going to start talking about the end of this book. Oh my god, we're really like this is a long episode, but I don't care. I don't care. Um, so the we're going to start talking about the end. So if you have not read this book and you are dis- and you are thinking like, oh maybe I will read it, like and you do not want to be spoiled because the ending of this book is really one of the most magnificent endings of a historical ever of a romance. Turn ever. it off now read the book and, come and then back. come back and listen to us talk, do the end. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that's my like warning. <laughs> We're about to do it. Okay. So that said in the hands of a lesser author, she would save him at this point, right? Like she would see that he was breaking and, um and then we would have no, like, we would have, she would, this would be the end, right? Like, this would be, like, a sort of intense ending. But he also killed her favorite brother. So, like, you can't just end it here. Like, this is how the battle, now we're really in a battle for Royce's identity. And for Jennifer's. Like Right. Because this
1: is, like, now a reckoning for her, like, he was the actual like the only member of the family that could have brought her back into the fold. Right. Aunt Eleanor is sort of out. Right. She's just like, I don't want to be with them anyway. He's he's cloistered me, too. And I'm finally out. I'm not going back there. So when he kills off the bad brother like or the good brother, what's left is just like this evil core of her family. And we know that.
0: Yeah. So now it's the worst. Also, because remember that at the beginning of the book, we saw or the beginning, the middle of the book, we saw William was smart enough to see the whole game and say, like, the goal isn't death. The goal is safety, security, happiness, whatever. So you're right. I mean, like, we do get him out of the way. None of the things w- that happened at the end would have happened if William had still been alive. No, of course. So shit goes down. Je- basically, Jennifer is like, I can't. I'm like, I don't know how I'm ever going to even look at you again. Royce is racked with guilt. Oh, oh, and then there's my favorite line. My favorite line on page 386 of the book where he says, like, he's trying to get to get through to her. Like, he's basically like, you don't understand. Like, I didn't mean to do it. Like, I thought that he, he had a gun. He pulled out his dagger. Like, I didn't. I, it was a reflex. Like, he's really trying to figure it out. And on page 386, he says... He calls her Jenny and she says, don't call me that again. And I love that. We love a nickname over here at Faded Mates. And then he says, would it help if I said I love you? And there is no anger on her face. But she says, whom are you trying to help? And he's his arms. But and she could have ended it there. And instead, she gave Royce the final word in the scene. Royce's arms fell to his sides. You're right. He agreed. After they have sex, I think the first time, and
1: she's like, I'm in love with him. And he says something to her about no matter who, like, she, he says something about, like, no matter who took you, it would have hurt no matter who took you. And she thinks, no matter who took you was a very far thing from I love you. Right. So these the the way in which they can't even tell each other about their real feelings. I mean, even here, he doesn't say I love you. He says, would it
0: help if I told you I loved you? Mm hmm. Oh, it's so heartbreaking because she really is. She and she nails it like, yeah, it would help you. Yeah, it would just make everything worse for me. Men in the bin, (laughs) So at this point, yeah. here's where we are. At the beginning of this book, 380 pages ago, this bitch killed this man's horse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you're like, shit, go back and kill He Got your I'm brother. I'm like, man, in the bin. <laughs> like, I mean, it is really magnificent. Like, the way that she manipulates your emotions is deft and, I mean, like, like, a, like sociopathic. Yes. Now, I'm also at the point, by the way, in
1: this book where it has all come back to me, and I know how this motherfucker is about to wrap up. And I was like, and you're just vibrating. I think I texted you and Kate, and was like, oh my god, I'm like reaching the end of this book, and I like cannot even no. because I. And I read it the way I read it the first time, which was like
0: tearing through in a in a fever dream. I must know. I must know how it ends. And I I mean, I've read this book 30 times and I still get to like page to where he where I get to that moment. The moment where he said where she says it would help you, which honestly, I feel like not only did this build me as a writer, this maybe built me as a person. Yeah. Right. Because like, I don't want you to fucking tell me like, don't. Don't. don't just say it to say it. Like, don't. I don't you want that. Fix That's not that it doesn't like, yeah, like some love it does not solve every problem. Like, sometimes you have to man up, like, and or person up and like, and like really soul search about how you are going to be in the world. And that is, and I feel like. I don't know, maybe reading it like this week in this climate, like I felt like, yeah, Jennifer, it's not just that. Like it is about action. It is about what you've done and what you haven't done and how you behave. I also think it's like really important for her
1: journey that we see that she is not going to take the bullshit from her husband that she has from her family. Yes. Right. So we see her making. She this. expects better of him. Yes. She's like. And and so we know that then when she leaves them behind, she's not going to be the same person she was with them. She's going to be an equal, a true equal as opposed to just a a pawn on
0: the chessboard. So then it gets to the tourney. So he decides that he is going to host a tourney and. As Jennifer said, as my Jennifer, our Jennifer, Fated Mates Jennifer said, men in there fucking jousting.
1: (laughs) I know, I was literally like,
0: it's so hilariously performative. Like, what kind of bullshit is jousting?
1: Oh, I know.
0: I know, but like. It's so like primitive too. Like, let's all sit in the stands and watch these people sword each other to death. Like what? <laughs> right. So you're like but, I oh, will tell you, you. mad about her for her horse. What are you guys doing on your horses? <laughs> Can I tell you what I love though? Tell me. Tell I love it. lady I love ladies' favors.
2: Mm-hmm. I love them.
0: I love I mean I, I mean, I will take them from anybody. They don't have to be ladies' favors, but I like, the, I like the whole, like, and then she pulled a scarf from her hair, and she tied it around the tip of his joust. Oh, yeah. Of his, like, sure. what is it called? Not a joust. Oh, his lance. Whatever. And, I mean, it's all very, like, <laughs> Real phallic, I mean, it, everybody, it could sure. maybe be phallic. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it definitely is. <laughs> but, the, so, I mean, I love it. I love it. I love it. So, here we are. It's Scotland versus England, hosted at the America State. And the Merricks are on one side and there's a fucking throne set there for Jennifer to sit in. No, not the Merricks. I'm sorry. There is a, the the, Clay, the Claymores are on one side and there is a fucking throne where, that she can sit in like while she watches her husband, the duke. Fight his fights and like I don't know, wave pointy sticks at at other men. And what would Jurgen Klopp say? <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jurgen Klopp will be played by Aunt Eleanor in this version. (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Right? So she's supposed to be on the side. I mean, like, she is the Duke of Claymore's wife. Like, she's supposed to be sitting in the throne on the English side. You know, made
1: it so that all of the people cannot be taken advantage of, and she stuck up for them, and they love
0: her. God, that's the other thing about medievals, like, where it's (laughs) like, just send the heroin out to be nice to all the serfs and it's fine. And then she'll come back, and everyone will love her. <laughs> They're like, oh, "Thank you," <laughs>
1: and they can, they are betrayed, right? But and she and her father has put like the whammy on her, yeah. and it is on page, like what, basically how they like everybody comes to greet her. We're so yeah. happy to see you. These are people who've been terrible to her. And oh she, yeah, all
0: her whole clan is like, "We love, we you love, love you. You're amazing," and she is powerless to resist up. this, right? So then she gets out. She sees it. And Eric, his delightful man of arms, who says basically nothing nothing but the truth. P.S. You fucking know that. I was like, does this motherfucker get his own book? A taciturn man who said three words. And is afraid of snakes. My favorite, my favorite, like non romance line in this book is when um, Royce says, "Eric," she says, "Wait, Eric, Eric, who is like eight feet tall and like weighs five hundred pounds." Um, she says, "Eric is afraid of of snakes," and he's and Royce says, "No, women are afraid of snakes. Men hate them." <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. It was so perfect, <laughs> so great. So anyway, um, so then we get to so we get to this moment, right? And then there's this space for her to sit with the Merricks. and she looks at the field, and she and Eric is like, "This throne is yours," and she and they've hung her pennant above her 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 shield, her crest of her coat of arms. 17 ways to say that. (laughs) I got there eventually. But I worked out. Um, So, and she says, no, I'm going to sit under my pennant, my coat of arms. And there's this moment that's like, and she, and you can feel it kind of in her too. Like she knows, she knows she's making a choice and that everything might be different after this. So she goes and, and, and sits there, Eleanor goes with her, which and I think Eleanor goes with her. And so does Brenna. And Eleanor sits down next to her and is like, you made a big fucking mistake, but you better show face. But you better sit proud. I guess this is what we're doing now. It's not what I would have done. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, but I like that. She was like, well, you're a big girl now, Jennifer. So now you sit with this. And what's interesting is like, we saw Roy say it to her. You're a big girl, now you sit with it. like So here we are, she's made this decision, and this hero comes out in his shining armor on his black horse named Zeus, with his massive sharp lance, and he comes to her for, she thinks, a favor. And the whole of her clan is yelling and booing and hissing and calling him names and spitting. And instead of asking for her favor, he puts the tip of his lance into the ground and gives her a salute like he would give it to his king. And it is perfection. Yeah, it is. Because he's basically saying, like, you're my equal. There's no favors, right? Right. We are, like, we are equals. I respect you. This is a sign of my respect. And she thinks, now she has made, she basically told, she asked him. Ultimately, her the favor she invoked, you know, however long ago was, you won't ever hurt my family. And now there are like fourteen members of her family who have lined up to sword at him. And they figure it out. And she, and again, I want to point out,
1: McNaught does not put Jennifer's like I can't watch this anymore,
0: and she leaves. Well, because, no, but she leaves because she thinks he's killing her father. It's a real bad moment. It's very bad form on Jennifer's part. Yeah, she's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Because we're still here. Here we are. We're 95% of the way through the book. And this, like, brat is still saying, like, I he promised he wouldn't kill my family. And right, so she bounces out of there, and she's but just she but she can't. She's never seen war, and that's been on the page multiple times. Like we've been reminded as a reader over and over again, he's described war to her like she's never seen battle, so she doesn't know the difference between what he's doing and what everyone else is doing. And what he's doing is avoiding hurting her family while they are attacking him. So she leaves, and then. One of my favorite lines about
1: war real early in the book is Royce says to her, "It's true. I've spent most of my life fighting to bring peace." And I was like, yeah. "Fucking men." Yeah, yeah. Right? And here we are again, right? And they're but now it's fake war, right? It's jousting. It is so it's like literally performative. But here we are. This is how men, right, in this book are going to deal with their shit. And she hears what she thinks is Royce defeating her family members one after another. And Stephen arrives and says, Bitch, you're coming with me. You're going to watch him die since you're the one who did it.
0: Okay. She says, I have no, I'm not going back. I have no stomach for cheering while my husband batters my family to pieces. Emphasis mine. And then Stefan says, I'll tell you what's happening. My brother is out there on that field dying. He swore he'd not raise a hand against your kinsmen. And the moment they realized that during the tournament, they massacred him. They tore him to pieces and now he's jousting. Do you hear the crowd jeering? They're jeering him. He's so badly injured. I don't think he knows anymore when he's been unhorsed. Jennifer, Royce is letting them kill him. He's out there on that field dying for you. And he killed your brother and he's paying. And then it says he broke off as Jennifer tore free from his grip and started running. (sighs) <sighs> cut to Royce bloody gate like blood in his eyes like definitely definitely like close to death and then he, he thinks he's seeing a vision and she's running across the battlefield to him and then she kneels he refuses to let her see him on the ground so he uses the last bit of his strength to stand <laughs> and She kneels at his feet and kisses his hand, and it is, first of all, very Taming and the True. And then also, like, just magnificent. And then, because it's a romance novel, they go back to his tent, they fix, they set his broken arm and fingers, Give him his shield and send him back out to vanquish every enemy. Of course, right? But again. Because he's fine. He's fine. (laughs) He's like, look. Now that I have your love. Healed uh, by love. Yes, of course. He doesn't need need Auntie E's. uh, Uh, Impotence Tylenol. (laughs) Impotence Tylenol. (laughs) Right. Anyway, and then they live happily ever after. They have a baby. Who we know will someday have a baby who will have another baby and another baby and then Clayton Westmoreland will be born and then we'll all talk about winning, my love. Yeah. (laughs) But you're all wrong to talk about Clayton because the real fucking deal is Royce. I mean, the real deal. I love him very much. I pledge my own sword to Judith McNaught. Yeah, I won't hear it any other way. I loved it. I loved it. Me too. Jen, can I also say something that's like kind of squishy and like sappy? Please do. I really like you. Oh. I really like this. I was reading this book and I was like, I have never been able to talk about this book with anybody. Like really talk about it, about how much I love it and how important it is to me. And I just, I'm so happy I found you. Oh. Thanks for being my friend. It really Thanks has. Thanks for talking about romance novels with me. I feel the same way. I re-
1: really, this is how I want to talk about romance all the time. I know with
0: everyone. And then you're like, you don't understand. And I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm page 17. And people yeah. are like, no, I just, I liked it. And I was like, <laughs> I got to <No>. call Jen. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, listen, I have copious notes. <laughs> Oh, God, it was so good. It is really... If you have not read this book, I hope we have convinced you to at least give it a try. You are safe. There is no rape in this book. Like, all the things that you hear about Judith McNaught are not in this book. Um, When when the hero of this book gets angry, he gets angry for reasons, and she gets angry back. And so it's... If anything, it's like a... It's it really is rivals to lovers. Like she is not a weak heroine. He's not really a strong hero. Like there's there's nuance to them. I feel like the thing about this book,
1: though, we don't really talk about titles that often. Um, but but this is really a this is like really a romance reader's romance. And what I mean by that is, she explains to him that like sometimes she would just like build this this kingdom of dreams for herself where everything would be the way she wanted and that everything would like work out the way that was going to be best for her and this is a book where she gets that and he knows that they're getting it together and it's such a like it's such a beautiful metaphor for like what romance does right like that you are going to come into a relationship and, and you're going to be an equal and you're going to bring out sometimes the worst in each other until you figure out how to bring out the best in each other and your strengths will complement each other. And it's not like, and it's like this amazing thing where then you get to have the thing you want and the thing you deserve from the people in your life.
0: You know, and I also think like there's something about this book that's really a metaphor for like romance writ large like the way we talk about romance or the outside world talks about romance and I don't think this was necessarily like her thought process when she was writing it because it was so early in the game but maybe right um the cover that I have and I don't know if this is the original cover I don't I'm sure it's probably not is this one that has this castle in the clouds on it and like when you say, I think when people talk about romance, often it's like, well, they build they 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 build up these like unrealistic expectations for women, right? Like essentially, like believing that you can have partnership and parity and pleasure and also you know and all the things that come with it is you are essentially like the the expectation is too high; they're unrealistic, and it's a castle in the sky, right? It's a kingdom of dreams, and the um. The truth is that none of those things should be castles in the air. Like, unrealistic expectations when it comes to relationships should not exist. Like, being treated with, like, dignity and respect and knowing your
1: partner isn't going to hurt your family. But if your family's real shitty to you, they'll support you, like, decoupling from them. I mean, it was like...
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much. There's so much about it that ends up being you know, so essential to what comes next. And we talk so much about, um, you know, who's read what and is it clear? Like, you know, you and I a lot of times we'll read a book by a new author and go, oh, she clearly is a romance reader, right? And I think that what I was really struck by here is how many of the primordial tropes are coded into this. And I wonder how many of them were born here, you know? Certainly at the hands of McNaught, maybe not in this book, but I mean, I will, you know, I will always I, I, you know, I would really I would really love an opportunity to talk to her. She was she's like that person who I would. Oh, yeah. My God. I mean, just like an, like 30 minutes. So I don't know. Pocket uh, Simon and Schuster, if you are listening and you could get me 30 minutes with Judith. <laughs> just to s- cry at her <laughs> I'd really l- I'd really like that <laughs> I don't really deserve it but I'm a nice person too <laughs> Anyway, um this was a long episode. We didn't talk at all about um what's going on in the world. We talked a little bit about it last week, but um we're thinking about you all and um we are standing with you. Please give, if you can, to bail funds. There are still people in New York City and in many other places who are being arrested every night. Um, please give to Black Lives Matter. Um, we'll put links in the show notes by Black authors. Read about Black love. Be good to each other.
3: My name is Lydia. I'm from Carson City, Nevada. And when I was a little girl, I was severely dyslexic. And so I had to read all the time to practice. And my grandmother gave me Harlequin and Silhouette romances starting when I was about 10, I think. But the book that flooded me to historical, Whitney, My Love by Judith McNaught. Um, I bought it with my own money from my first job at McDonald's. And I read it under the covers at night because I I thought I would get in trouble for having a historical romance. My grandma thought they were a little bit dirty. And it made my heart hurt. Like, the emotion on the page made my heart hurt. And I couldn't wait to feel like that again. And I just became an addict. Thank you guys for bringing me back to romance. I kind of gave it up about two years ago. And I'm back thanks to you. Love you guys. Bye.
2: Hi, Sarah and Jen. I first am a huge native names fan and I'm always so excited for Wednesday when there is a new pod out. Um, my name is Christina. I live in Brooklyn. I'm a mom, 38, and an avid romance reader since I was 14. And the book that blooded me is... Um, Whitney, My Love, from the Judith McNaught Westmoreland Saga series. I went to an all-girls school. And in London, it was a boarding school, and my roommate knew I wanted something new to read. Passed me this book, and I was hooked. And I never looked back. And romance is my jam. And I can't imagine life without... Having read that book, because it is my escape, it is my happiness, it is my joy, and um, the emotional roller coaster of Whitney <laughs> I Love, the character uh, Whitney, and basically just the whole saga. I actually really love all Judith McNaught books. Of course, now in 2019, I probably can find a few issues, but other than that, Um, it's what started me and it blooded me and I can't imagine life without Romeo's in it. Anyway, keep podcasting you guys. We appreciate all the time you take um, to give us so much enjoyment in our ear holes. (laughs) All right. Thanks guys. Have a great day.